Before we begin this episode, we felt we couldn't publish it without first saying that, like many people in the world, we're shocked and saddened by the tragic death of George Floyd and the ingrained racism that it's brought to the foreground. We know that many people will be having difficult conversations at the moment, difficult and utterly necessary conversations in life, in work, at home, with ourselves, with our families, about race and racism. In this podcast, we're trying to share techniques and attitudes we can take that help keep us in the conversation, or brave enough to start it in the first place, whatever it's about. Not everything we say applies to every situation, but we hope you find it useful nonetheless, and that it can help you to have the transformative conversations that lead to greater understanding, justice and peace. So let's begin. Welcome to Unlocking Conflict, the podcast where we look at handling everyday tensions and disagreement better. This week, we're looking at preparing for a conversation, why it's important and what techniques you can use to help you have the conversations you want to have rather than the ones that you regret. I'm talking to Anna, Phil, Stephen, Fiona and Sharon this week about that. Well, it's great to be with you all this week. We've got a bumper episode with all six of us looking at how we can prepare for difficult conversations. Maybe you've had an argument or there's an issue which you've never actually raised with someone. It could be big, it could be small. Why is preparing for a conversation where you're raising an issue important? Stephen? The temptation we have is to is to roar in with whatever comes to us and we think of the words to say. But the um, the, the discipline of actually trying to prepare what we want to say, thinking about the words we're going to say, actually preparing in advance what we're going to say, possibly even writing down and learning the first 30, 40 seconds of what we want to say, means that we have brought a degree of control over the words that will be used, rather than words spilling out and just rushing out and being a function often of our own emotional responses, rather than words that we choose, uh, we decide to say, because we have uh, approached the conversation more deliberately, uh, more intentionally, rather than purely reactively. Uh, And this isn't really a natural process, because I think when we're in a state of anxiety, um, when we're stressed or sparks are flying, or we're Um, angry or frustrated or hurt we tend to speak out words that we don't have much control over and and sometimes we actually use them as weapons and they can do damage it can be temporary or it can be lasting and and so it's really important to assess how we can um, get some kind of control make some sort of choice over the language we use when we're in those high stress moments and you know we're not feeling level-headed at that point and we tend to go to our arsenal and what I think we're trying to provide today is a toolkit. Yeah great so a, a kind of toolkit that helps us get control over our words and have the conversations we want to have. So let's start unpacking that um, what techniques do you use practically to help you open up or prepare for a conversation? Sharon, can you kick us off with what's in your toolkit? One of the phrases that I often use to start with is, I'll start a sentence with, I've noticed. Because you're forced to then make a neutral statement in some way. So I've noticed you're quiet, or I've noticed 
we're having more difficult conversations. So I think finding a neutral opening phrase for yourself can be quite a useful entry point into the conversation. And the other thing I do before I even open my mouth is I think, what outcome I hope am I hoping for from this conversation? So not how am I going to win the argument or how am I going to get my point across, but what am I hoping is going to be different after this conversation? Mm. And if I come with that frame of mind, the thing I might be seeking is better understanding between the two of us or to reestablish trust because I think the other person's done something that's damaged the trust. And so if I'm trying to say reestablish trust, I'll come into the conversation with a different mindset than the one that might be judging or blaming someone for breaking a promise, for example. So kind of getting yourself into the frame of mind of not judging and blaming, and then you're less likely to use judging and blaming words when you're in the conversation. So I'm picking up on your um, outcome word, Sharon, and the, the problem is that when you're in that state of high stress and um, hurt or frustration, um, you're not focused on outcomes. So it's really difficult to kind of pull back and say, what do I want the outcome to be? And so often when we use words um, angrily, um, the outcome is the opposite from what we're hoping for. So we're looking for connection and actually what, it, we, what we get is disconnection. So for instance, Stephen uh, loves moths and runs a trap um, for anyone who's worried about that. It's a live trap. He releases them, but he studies them and records them. And I might say to him one day after he's done this day after day for seven hours a day, um, Stephen, I'm fed up with you always going to look at your moths. And um, I, I'm, I'm just not going to have this anymore. I'm going to go off and do my own thing. So if I say it like that, actually what I'm really wanting is support and probably his company. Uh, if I could say, I would love your company um, I would love more of your time. I'd love to do an activity together that we both enjoy. But would you be willing to um, do a few less hours on the moths or a few less days? I will be getting to connection. But if I say the first thing, I will probably be driving him away and getting him cross and he will come back and either to be defensive or on the attack. So I will actually not achieve the outcome I was hoping for. And you, in doing that as well, you've had to tune into what am I actually feeling? So I'm feeling lonely and I'm feeling uh, disconnected from Stephen and I'd like to have more time with him. So that's what I mean about the outcome. How can I meet that need uh, for connection with Stephen um, rather than how can I stop Stephen spending all that time with the moths? Stephen is sitting here. <laughs> Listening to this um, fascinating conversation about <laughs> I was thinking about it with an example of, um, say, a simple thing. So you, you, you agree some cleaning jobs. <laughs> you think I'm obsessed with cleaning here. You agree some cleaning jobs with your flatmate. You're, you work really hard all day and you're looking forward to, to a nice bath. And you're going to have candles and you're going to have music and you've created this fantasy that you're going to have an hour in the bathroom in the shiny clean bathroom because it gets cleaned on Tuesdays and then you come in and actually the flatmate hasn't cleaned it on Tuesday as you've both agreed if you tune into how you feel when you see that the bathroom hasn't been cleaned and you pause to think am I feeling angry or frustrated 
that the flatmate hasn't kept to the agreement that we made only last week. How difficult can that be? Or am I feeling disappointed that I've lost that lovely peaceful hour that I was planning to have? And if I'm feeling disappointed, I'm potentially going to have a different conversation with the flatmate than if I am angry. And I could be either. I don't know until I stand there at the door and just tune into how I'm feeling. So if I feel angry and frustrated with the person, I would start the conversation differently. You might be feeling all three of those, of course, Sharon. You could, you could. And I think, I think actually in terms of preparing for the conversation, really tuning into which of these is the most important. Is it mostly I'm disappointed because actually I just wanted a peaceful hour. And if peace is what I want, and I go and have a row with my flatmate, am I going to get peace? <laughs> but if actually trust that when my flatmate and I make an agreement that I can trust them to keep it is more important, then I might be willing to go in and have a slightly tougher conversation because actually it's the foundation of how I want our relationship to be rather than just this hour that I was hoping to have in the bath. That's what I mean by focusing on outcomes. Sounds like a kind of worky word, but that's, I don't know if that helps to kind of build on that and maybe looking at the same thing but from a slightly different perspective or or maybe after you've touched in with uh, what you're feeling is to think about how best can I communicate how I want to be heard or how can I be heard best by the other person thinking about the language you can use the tone the phrasing it's not about how can I communicate what I need to say It's about how can I say it in a way that can be heard best, which I think is a really interesting distinction. If you can get yourself to that place where that distinction is actually possible. But if you're thinking I left it too late or it's been too long or it's too big a bust up, I would add if you're willing to be there, it's never too late to try and start a conversation. It might be and probably will be one of the hardest things you have to do. But it doesn't mean it's not possible if you're willing and prepared to give it a go. And, and hearing that, Phil, I, I think that you, that's self-care, isn't it? It's looking after yourself and considering what you need to get to that place where you can be in that position to speak and act and communicate and connect in the way you're just talking about Mm, that's so true, Fiona, getting yourself into that, that place of being ready to have the conversation. So what kind of strategies can I use very practically to organise my thoughts and my words ahead of a difficult conversation to help it go as well as it can? Um, right at the outset, um, we've talked, I think, in the previous podcast about nonviolent communication. And I find certainly helpful to remind myself of the four stages of any difficult conversation or any compassionate conversation, which is an observation, a feeling, a need, and a request, or spun around the other way, looking at the other person again, and noticing an observation, a feeling, a need, and an offer. So that is a strategy, is something that you can learn. And it doesn't necessarily displace the emotions that roll through, but if it's there in the back of your mind, you can sort of think, well, there's the observation, the feeling, the need, the request, and it helps give a structure. And in exactly the same way, I think Philly was saying, the language that we use in a conflict, in a, in, a, in a difficult conversation, needs to try, can I put it this way, to minimise disagreement? We talked a couple of podcasts ago about this, how disputes or how conflict arises. It starts with difference. 
which leads to disagreement. And the disagreement leads to dispute. Now, when we're having a conversation, it's easy to use words which will increase the disagreement. Um, we probably will never agree about what happened, but we can have a conversation that moves us through. But if that conversation gets filled up with more disagreements, it gets worse. So the language that we use seeks to avoid disagreement. So we're trying to use words that don't involve judgments, because if we make a judgment, you are a, that's why it's such a bad statement, because a judgment will come and there'll be another disagreement, and that will increase the dispute. If you use language which doesn't lead to disagreement, because it's I statement, I feel, I need, I sense, I hear, that isn't really going to lead to disagreement because the other person says oh well that's what she thinks mm, thanks Stephen that's great and for our listeners you can listen to our second episode on nonviolent communication if you want to use that framework and find a bit more about it thinking about how we all approach conflict and we've talked in other podcasts about the responses we all have some of us might be more aggressive naturally some more passive some more manipulative let's focus on people who might be a, a bit more passive naturally what about someone who, who's been listening to this and feeling petrified of even, even opening up the conversation, who never normally says anything, lets things seethe and simmer? Anna, what's your advice for them? I think it might come back to what we were talking about earlier about preparation and um, having that space to really think through, do I need to have this conversation? I'm scared of it, but do I need to? Can I let this go? And will it impact our relationship? If it won't impact our relationship and I'm able to forget about it and forgive, then maybe you don't need to have that conversation. But if it's going to keep eating away at you, it's going to be playing on your mind every time you see that other person, you're going to be thinking about it, then you probably do. But you can take time to prepare to make yourself feel more confident to have that conversation. And that could mean writing down how you feel so that you can start to analyze how you feel and um, what you would like to say to the other person and then neutralizing the language you've just used <laughs> a little bit. Um, um, and also the questions that you want to ask that other person, and how you might phrase that and thinking about your ultimate goal. What is your ultimate goal? Is it, you know, because sometimes in conflict, your ultimate goal is not to be best friends. It's to be able to live alongside each other. But sometimes it is to be restored to being best friends. And think about how you can get there and better understand one another. And it comes back to exactly what we've been saying, the language you're using not being blame language or judgmental language. As someone who doesn't run into conflict and avoids it at wherever possible, <laughs> speaking from my experience is I tend, yeah, I tend to avoid it and then blow up when I just can't take it anymore. And so kind of flipped between the avoiding conflict and charging straight into it with all guns blazing, but in a kind of knee-jerk reaction. Um, I think my advice to someone who also tries to avoid conflict is about that kind of self-reflection and also that the times that I have had difficult conversations, quite a lot of the time, because you've been quite passive and unaware or you're not showing your frustration or anger, 
the person who you're angry with or frustrated with probably doesn't know you're frustrated or, ang or angry. I mean, if you're very good at it, they won't know. Um, <laughs> actually, the conversation quite often isn't as hard as you might originally think because they're like, oh, I didn't realize that you were really, you know, frustrated with the fact that I keep putting, I don't know, work on your desk at five to five or something like that when you want to leave the office or whatever. So then you can start to have actually quite a measured conversation if you can measure how and communicate how you feel about it. Then people are actually able to respond and understand that it's probably taken you quite a lot of effort and quite a lot of thought to even get to that point. I think, yeah, one of the other things that I do to kind of make my stuff self-step into the conversation is ask for a conversation. So could, even if it's a short phrase, like, could I have a quick word? Could we have a chat about something that's on my mind? And as soon as you've got that sentence out, then you've got to say something. <laughs> um, and I often say it to people who work in, uh, in open plan offices, um, especially people who want to kind of give feedback, as we call it, in the work context to a colleague. That can feel really awkward in an open plan space sometimes because everyone knows that the conversation is going on and other people can overhear it. Um, and I, I, I'll suggest to them that, you know, in that context, you could send a message discreetly to the other person and say, can we have a coffee? Or could, you, could we meet up for lunch and have a sandwich? Um, to, again, commit yourself to, I'm going to have a conversation, and then psych yourself up to be ready for it. It's almost like you're giving yourself permission to step into the conversation. I find that quite useful. That's really interesting, Sharon. Actually, speaking from personal experience, there have been two separate occasions where I did that, and then it signaled to the other person beforehand as well. And they'd all, they were already then prepared and in both circumstances, they had guessed what we were going to talk about. And I think that was quite helpful because then you take away the element of surprise, which can just immediately put people's hackles up. It's, it's really about preparing the space in which you can have the conversation in the way that it's helpful to have it. So that it's not hurried, not frantic, it's not uh, your um, tension levels are, are, are slightly calmer than normal and all of those things. There's a really important ingredients in setting a place to have a reasonable prospect of a good outcome. Mm, thanks, Fiona. So just panning out a bit, but we've had a lot of um, really good tips and techniques. I wondered if someone, maybe Stephen, you could summarise for us what stages then really simply we should go through when we're thinking about planning for a conversation like you were talking about at the start. The first thing is whether you need to do something or not. You have to make the decision. There's then the what. What is it that you need to be talking about? What's your role in it? What's your responsibility? What do you want to achieve? What are your issues? What are the issues? What are your objectives? What can you offer? So there's the whether, there's the what, and then there's the how. How do you do it? All those three stages involve a degree of planning. And it may seem counterintuitive to spend time thinking about what you're going to say, but it pays dividends. We talked just now about an, the, 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 the how thing and maybe making contact with someone. By all means, use email or text to try and suggest a conversation. But it's very rarely helpful to use the email or the text 
to have the conversation. So use it to set it up, but don't use it to try and have it because otherwise it's probably going to go wrong. I agree because one of the big problems with that is the time delay and you're not necessarily reacting to uh, the response that the person has given you straight away. And it can, it can end up escalating in a really unhelpful way because you get loads of time to plot and decide exactly how you're going to craft a response, which is often more likely to escalate rather than de-escalate. Whereas if you're coming with kind of with humility and with, with positive intent into a conversation, you're more likely to stay connected and come to a positive outcome. And even if you don't resolve it in that one conversation, Fiona, you've talked before about having the courage to, to come back if it didn't work the first time um, and to say, that last conversation didn't end quite the way I would have liked. Could we, could we have another go? That's another kind of form of connecting and seeking permission to keep talking about it and stay connected. Can I add in there, Sharon? Um, you know, again, we've been looking at outcomes and, you know, uh, not achieving what we hope for. And it's very easy to be overambitious in um, what we're expecting from the conversation. We sometimes hope that we'll go in and solve every single thing that we wanted to, and that's our desire. And we're really disappointed when that doesn't happen. And, and, and I think beforehand, it, when you're preparing, it's really, really important to say to oneself, we may just achieve one thing, which is just the ability to have a conversation about something, even if it's not everything. And, and I always use that analogy of, uh, it's not A to Z. Z is definitely what you want to achieve, but be, be a little bit more restrained and say, maybe if we get from A to A plus, that will be good enough. We can come back, we can have multiple conversations. And if this one goes well, it will set a really good tone for the next one or 10. Yeah, and just to sort of add to that, I guess, yeah, they have that, it's about managing your expectations too. Like what, um, you talk about an outcome, what's, what's the best outcome, but also what's good enough as an outcome. For you and understanding both of those personally before you go into the conversation then you can I guess navigate your way to the good enough outcome exactly. um, but while still hoping that you might get to the, the best case outcome. Yeah that's really interesting and I've certainly found that in my own life that I need to kind of almost get my head into the space where I have both the reasonable expectations for the, for the conversation itself as much as I might want more ultimately for the relationship. Something I've heard you all say at one point is how important literally the first 45 seconds of a difficult conversation is. And I wondered if you could talk a bit about that. How can we make that first 45 seconds go really well? And why is that important? And in the mundane, a really, really mundane answer, I think, Sarah, to your question, is you write out, and we touched on it before, you write out the first 45 seconds of the conversation uh, and you write out and learn um, what is the issue, why you're here, what you'd like to achieve, and do it in language which is non-judgmental. And if you learn it uh, and then can actually lead with that, there is some statistical data which suggests that when that happens, most conversations go quite well. If, on the other hand, you are adrift, and you're not sure what to start with, there's a much, much lower prospect of a good outcome. 
You can actually use the 45 seconds to follow the MVC structure. Um, if you've, if you, so you can prepare those sentences. Um, so when I see you researching online for trampolines, I feel nervous because I need reassurance that the kids are ready for going on a trampoline. Um, would you be willing to have a conversation about it before committing to anything? Or would you be willing to agree that we won't make any promises to the kids until we've had a conversation about it? So you've, you've effectively got out the issue that you want to talk about, how you feel about it, you've, and you've requested permission to have a conversation. So you're kind of opening the door. And most people, even people who may not want to have a difficult conversation, might be able to screw up the courage to let that much out and then see what happens next. Can I just add in one thing? It's, uh, it's something which Anna said earlier, which I think is important to restate particularly for those of you who are listening uh, and are wondering whether to engage in something, try and, if you do go for it, uh, try and create some sort of escape route or some sort of safety valve or some means whereby if it's really going badly or not going well, you've got some way in which you can just take a step back. Um, whether that's language, whether you tell someone who you know that you're having the conversation that person's available on the phone if need be to ring but you just create some something which gives you that safe escape just in case it's needed and i think in addition to that there are a couple of um couple of phrases that you could um have at your kind of beck and call so that if something's not going very well or if, if you're if someone asks you a question or comes up with something that you you're not sure how to answer you can actually say could i just have a little bit of time to think about that you know, that's okay to, to, to bring in pauses into the conversation. Um, and the other one is, I think I'm, I'm not ready to, to carry on with the conversation now. Could we resume at another time? Could we agree um, to come back to this? Because I'm just not feeling up to it at the moment. So that's another way that you could put in a kind of break clause, as it were. Mm, nice. And chocolate biscuits, tea, <laughs> coffee, drink, depending <laughs> on what the context is. Some, some sort of something hospitable yeah something that you can do which fills the space when you're not quite sure that you've got the words mm. to put them into the space so something like that is helpful fantastic yeah that's great <laughs> and we might come back to what you were talking about Fiona there when we look at de-escalating conflict what happens when a conversation is going really wrong and what we can do to turn it around actually in the heat of the moment but first, to finish off this episode, we've talked about a lot. We've talked about the first 45 seconds of the conversation and how important that is. We've talked about preparing yourself and your thoughts and your expectations and thinking about what outcome you might want from the conversation. We've talked about language and preparing ourselves to use neutral language that doesn't involve judgment or blame. And we've talked a bit about the practicalities for how we go by email, by text, to open up the conversation, prepare the space so that it's hospitable and sets us up to have the conversation well. So to round off, for people listening to this who might have a difficult conversation to prepare for, let's take a couple of top tips. My top tip would be that particularly if you're nervous about a conversation, find a way of seeking permission to have the conversation as a way into it. 
my top tip would be that if you're feeling maybe hurt, disappointed, frustrated, it's probably not the best time to start a conversation. My top tip would be to um, actually pause, take a breath and think how you want to be heard. Mm-hmm. Um, so aware of what, uh, what, what's going on for you and then also how to communicate that so that it can be heard by the person you're speaking to. Thank you so much, everyone, for all of your really valuable advice about preparing for a conversation. This has been Unlocking Conflict. If you'd like to find out more about nonviolent communication, which we mentioned in this episode, then our second episode covers that in more depth. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any comments or feedback, then please feel free to email us at unlockingconflict at crux.org.uk. Thanks for listening.